right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our webinar today. I'm Mark Rabin from Kinexus. I'm real excited. We've got a panel discussion today. So I'm going to have a couple introductory slides just to set the stage in terms of logistics and everything. And then we're going to be in a PowerPoint-free zone otherwise. We're going to have a great discussion with the topics that we have planned. We'll have an opportunity uh, to work your questions into the mix. So I'm going to play the role of moderator today. And we're going to let everyone introduce themselves um, to a little bit more detail. But we are joined um, by Chris Burnham. He's a Continuous Improvement Program Manager with Wright Medical. We're also joined by Tyler Clements, who's a customer experience analyst at um, a, a company called Ascentech. And we're joined by Mohamed Saleh, Dr. Mohamed Saleh. Congratulations on your, your recent PhD, my friend. And uh, he is, among other things, a founder and principal um, at a firm called Visibility LLC. And you'll learn a little bit more about all of their backgrounds and, and what they do. So let's just go around, Robin. Um, just going to go in an alphabetical order off of uh, last names here. Um, Chris Burnham, if you could um, just start first, you know, uh, who are you? Where do you work? What else do you want to tell the audience uh, about, your, about your background? So uh, my name is Chris Burnham, and I'm a continuous improvement program manager at Wright Medical. Uh, and I um, have about 18 years of experience in uh, various fields and industries. With, uh, but the same things with continuous improvement have always kind of followed me around. Um, I've had, uh, I've been had the opportunity to teach. I've had the opportunity to apply it as an operations leader. Um, and now I lead a global program that's focused on employee-driven continuous improvement. We're going to learn more about how you're adapting that to, um, you know, the, the, the current workplace and, and virtual times. So, so again, welcome, uh, Chris. And then uh, Tyler Clements, if you can uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah. So um, uh, currently, I'm a customer experience analyst with Ascentech, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I currently lead our continuous improvement program. Um, so I'm involved with uh, anything from lean strategy planning, training, uh, facilitation to coaching. Um, I currently serve as the education chair on the board of directors for uh, Seven Rivers Lean Consortium, uh, where really my primary responsibility is to help uh, create uh, learning and networking opportunities for lean organizations and practitioners. Um, so in this discussion, uh, I'll be talking about some of my recent experiences from both of those roles. All right. And again, welcome, Tyler. And then uh, Mohamed Saleh, if you can tell us a little bit more about you. Absolutely. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Mohamed Saleh. I'm, uh, I'm from Connecticut. So uh, uh, I've been in the continuous improvement world for the last uh, close to two decades now. Primarily, my niche has been in healthcare. And for the last year or so, I kind of expanded outside of that as well. Um, I teach at two universities for the last decade, Central Connecticut State University, as well as Elms College. And my focus has been in really understanding how what principles organizations uh, are striving for and how do I design architects to complement that? And then what are the behaviors? And uh, then I look at complexity thinking, distributed leadership and stuff like that to kind of ensure a, um, a full organizational transformation centered at the people. Yeah. And so, you know, as we're all focusing on, on people as you know, the core of improvement, um, our, our people are now in different 
environments and different circumstances. So I'm going to kind of go back around in the other direction, you know, before we, we dive into details about what you're doing around virtual improvement, you know, high level questions starting with you, Mohammed. how has your workplace changed with COVID-19? Um, at first, my answer would have been drastically, but now it's kind of feels like, you know, it's kind of settling in, but I had to figure out um, just technology wise, uh, how am I going to do this? I'm used to coaching in person. So how do I coach virtually? I'm used to going and flying out to my clients. So how do I do that in a virtual environment? My house, how am I going to set it up to be able to accommodate um, this this new world? And so uh for me, it was just a lot of adjusting. I had to buy a mic. I had to, you know, make sure I had to subscribe to a Zoom account. I had to, I had to do a bunch of things. My subscriptions probably had eight or nine of them that I had to make to kind of complement that physical space. And then uh, we'll we'll go back to to Tyler. So you know, we, we it's, you know we've got three different types of organizations represented. We've got you know the the, the consultant, and now we've got someone in a services company, and then someone at a medical device maker. Uh, but, but Tyler, how has your workplace changed, um, generally speaking? Yeah, so just to provide just a little context, as you mentioned, we are effectively a service provider. Um, but um, we're an internet service provider, and we serve 20,000 broadband customers, mainly in rural America, in Minnesota, Iowa, and Michigan. Uh, we've been in business for 70 years. Um, and so to give you a brief uh, look at what pre-COVID looked like, at least in terms of office personnel, I mean, essentially, every single employee worked out of the office. Uh, and so we, we do have technicians and outside plant personnel that, that you know, are outside, um, but primarily our office staff worked inside. And so um, like many organizations over time, we'd been talking about how we might at some point look into an option to work remotely, uh, but weren't exactly sure what that looked like uh, or how soon something like that could even happen. And so over the course of about two weeks, uh, as businesses started closing, we went from all office personnel uh, being in the office to working remotely. So a pretty huge shift for us. Um, there were some employees that stayed in the office, but the majority you know, would be working uh, remotely. So I guess what I would say is, is COVID effectively you know, forced us to expedite our future plans. And so uh, I think it forced us to get uh, really clear on some of the unique challenges and some of the preferred outcomes that, um, that we wanted for each position and then have conversations around how we were going to make it work and how we were going to gauge success in the virtual environment. Um, so we had to reprioritize a couple things. Some things were put on hold. But in general, I think it made us look more at um, the outputs or the results of our work um, because, obviously, we couldn't observe a lot of the work being done. And so I think we realized that, you know, when we started to focus on you know, the results, it's no longer about where you worked, um, but you know, how you're working, what the quality of the work itself was. So overall, it made us much more flexible. Um, so it's been... You know, sort of a, you know, I know it's a terrible situation for us. It's been really a blessing in, in disguise. Yeah. And I was just going to make a comment, you know, before throwing it um, to you, Chris, I'm going to play <laughs> pseudo panelists, I guess, when, when it suits me here, but this idea of accelerating the future, I've heard comments about that. You know, one of my clients in healthcare has really dramatically accelerated telehealth and video visit appointments. And that may in a lot of ways become a new normal that may have come eventually as people see the value and at least where that can be utilized. Um, we, we may see some of that sticking around. Um, so, so Chris, how has your workplace changed? I mean, for you personally, and then you know, Wright Medical, you have manufacturing where you have a, you know, a lot of work that by nature can't be done virtually. How, how is your workplace changing? 
Yeah, you, you can't take a Mazak home and uh and and do complex machining in in your in your <laughs> garage or living room, right? Or your kitchen table. But uh no, so I I I I think I'd echo some of the comments that other people have made. So, you know, our mission and purpose are unchanged. Uh our customers still depend on us. Um and so while we've uh you know had to make some adjustments, I I think uh, I could probably speak more to the adjustments I've had to make personally in the sense that, um, and my team is that uh, our priority has always been to focus on results first and then location second. So um, in, in, in my work and uh, the work that I do, I go to a lot of different places. So working remotely and working from home is kind of, a, a, I wouldn't say a primary uh, work mode, but maybe a binary work mode. I'm, I'm used to working uh, effectively in the office and outside the office. Uh, I think, um, you know, working, you know, the changing environment has allowed us to, uh, you really get those accelerated results that we were talking about because we're able to focus our improvement result, our, our improvement work, uh, because we're seeing things from a different perspective now. Um, and I know as, uh, lean coaches and improvement, uh, improvement teachers were always telling people to, you know, step back and take a look and approach the problem differently. So, well, now environmentally, you have to do that. So, um, you know, I think, uh, the, the principles of continuous improvement are unchanged. Uh, it's just how you figure out ways to uh, apply them. Um, and I think that, uh, you, Mark, you'd mentioned tell, you know, telehealth or telepresence. Um, I've been, uh, during this time, I've been the consumer of one of those and I found, I thought it was easy. I thought it was, I was like, wow, I never want to go into a doctor's office ever again. But then I realized I don't want to take my own blood or, you know, have to have to do those types of things for lab tests. But, um, you know, I, oh, in, in with that, um, one of the things that we focused on is, uh, talking to one another and, um, you know, using, um, you know, platforms like Microsoft Teams, we use a lot uh, with, with us. Um, if you have a problem, something comes up, don't send them an email. Uh, you know, hit, you know, buzz, you know, ask, hey, do you have a minute? And have a video chat one-on-one. Um, I think that goes to keep us connected from a sense of community, but it also, um, it holds us accountable for our words, deeds, and actions as well. Yeah, and so, you know, you, you, um, well, there's a quick question that came in, and we're going to, I think, have a chance to explore this in more detail. But what um, a couple of people asked basically, like, what software tools are you using for collaboration? Are you using Zoom? Are you using other meeting collaboration platforms? Um, so for us, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm just as curious about this as everyone else is, but uh, for us, primarily using um, Microsoft Teams. Uh, and we had set some of that up before, uh, you know, we got into this uh, mode that we're operating in, but um, it it really helped uh, bring it to attention for everybody for us to be able to, you know, use technology from that standpoint. Um, I, I use LucidChart. Uh, I found that that's easy as far as sharing and collaboration. Um, and then uh, you still have things like SharePoint, uh, e- email, um uh, use it, but Microsoft Teams has probably been the the biggest uh, one that I've used. And, and inside Teams, there's a suite of so many other um, uh, software things, like Microsoft Planner and uh, Flow and and you know BI. It, it you know it helps drive home some of the things that you can forms. Uh, there's some great technology inside of Microsoft Teams. Yeah, 
And um, there's a follow-up question. Microsoft Teams has a video component. It looks very similar to Zoom or like Kinexus. We quite often now use Google Meet. I mean, I think the functionality is not all that different. We are going to talk, you know, there's some questions coming in about um, virtual mapping, and that's one of our topics that we're definitely going to get into. But uh, Mohammed or Tyler, what platforms are you using for uh, for meetings and, and communication? I'll let uh, Muhammad go because we we use Microsoft Teams as well. So um, if Muhammad does something different, then we'll let him <laughs> take this one awesome. on. So um, thank you, Tyler. I so I personally and with pretty much I think unanimously everyone have been really using Zoom as my main platform to just kind of converse. Um, for me, the record, the breakout feature has really been distinguishable uh, from other ones. I, I've, I've kind of dabbled in a lot, and I'm sure there's many more that I haven't touched yet. But I found Zoom became like more my comfort zone just because uh, really the breakout feature is a significant one for me. And uh, I like to see everyone's faces on the screen at the exact same time. So for me, Zoom had that advantage. And so I kind of migrated towards that. Now, during the conversations, and we'll get into that a little bit more um, later, but I, um, I personally use Mural uh, to kind of jot notes, uh, and we'll talk about mapping and all that, but that has kind of been my primary uh, source of engaging others as we kind of mm -hmm. done this. And I know this sounds kind of a little old school now, and it's funny that we're using the word old school for something like this, but I still use a flip chart behind me sometimes, and I still take notes while I'm talking to people. Yeah. And so just like Chris right there. So it's um, so for me, that has been working. Um, I have migrated a little bit more, and I've gotten out of my comfort zone. I'm using Asana. I'm using uh, to kind of kind of almost supplement my virtual board that I used to have to kind of just track the to-dos and stuff like that. And I've, uh, and I've, from a sharing standpoint, I've really been migrating to Google Drive and, and Google, um, uh, just all the Google options, uh, because that kind of intertwines a lot of the things that I do too. So. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you know, some of the, the methods, um, whether, you know, it's lean or other flavors of process improvement. One of the key principles is the idea of, of going and go, go and see. Um, so that can be difficult if impossible right now. Tyler, I know you and Suntech are doing some interesting things. Can you talk about how you're adapting that principle? Yeah, and so um, for, for us, at least, we've, <clears throat> we've been in sort of a unique situation as it is. Um, and so we don't manufacture a product. Uh, like you had mentioned earlier, we're, we're a service provider. Um, and so in our building, uh, the majority of the tasks and activities that happen within our value stream, our information and data flow. Uh, so at least within our, our critical processes. So going to the Gemba in those situations for us hasn't been a problem. Um, we could just gather around the work areas uh, to see and observe the work that's being done. What makes us a bit unique is towards the latter part of our value stream, uh, we actually have technicians uh, that have to go on site, um, whether that's to a home or business to finish our work, right? So that's installing modems or router for a new internet connection, installing set-top boxes. So um, going to the Gemba for us, even prior to COVID was sometimes difficult in those situations. Uh, we couldn't just round up you know, a, a team and just pop into somebody's house and, and see what they had going on. And so one of the things, and for years actually, our technicians have been utilizing just their smartphones, taking pictures, recording videos to capture certain issues that they'd run into while they're out on site. Um, one of the problems with that is since we complete the work on site, they'd have to bring that um, video back, those pictures back, and you'd have to deliberate 
uh, in a meeting and then go back out on site and fix it again. So obviously, you know, uh, excess transportation, just about every waste you can think of. Um, and so what we've been trying to do is experiment with different methods and how could we, you know, replicate going to the Gemba in a virtual environment. And so for office personnel, um, so those of you who primarily work on a computer, I think this is fairly simple, uh, a simple screen share uh, while in a video conference. And again, so for us, we use Microsoft Teams to accomplish that. But, you know, again, if you have Google Hangouts, Zoom, GoToMeeting, it all works the same. Um, so effectively, you know, we assemble a team, you know, we have a, the person who's experiencing an issue, just share their screen, walk everybody through the problem. Um, obviously it makes it much easier for people to see what's going on, um, in an office environment with having a crowd over somebody's work, work area. Um, uh, but if it's something that, you know, now that we're in a virtual environment and you want to be able to observe, observe a work area, not just a computer screen, but, um, let's say for us. Uh, we want to observe a technician on a customer premise. One of the things we've been, you know, experiencing with is to or for them to utilize their smartphones, download the app for whatever video conferencing uh, tool you use. Um, so again, for us, that's Teams. So we would download Microsoft Teams, and then we would assemble a meeting, join that meeting, and have them utilize their smartphone to show the video component. Um, only thing there, you got to make sure you have good headphones so that you can continue to communicate while they're showing, you know, what's going on. So, um, you know, what that allows us to do is effectively, you know, troubleshoot remotely. Um, this is not something that you want to do for small problems. These, these are big problems, things that, you know, for us would require engineering to get involved. Um, but, you know, again, it allows us to troubleshoot remotely and um, without having a need to travel back and forth. And, uh you know, sometimes, you know, you do run into the quality issues, you know, not everybody's got Wi-Fi um, where you're going to be. Sometimes the cellular service isn't great, you know, depending on uh, where you're at. And so um, obviously just take a video, you know, just record a video of that and then bring it back for a more traditional uh, meeting where you can observe it together. I mean, people have been doing that for years, so that's nothing new. Uh, I would just say, you know, having access to the, the, the live or real-time component via video conference is something that, you know, you could consider, you could definitely try, um, right. just make sure that, you know, you check with uh, your legal team, if there's any compliance issues, um, from doing that customer information, proprietary process, whatever it is, just make sure that stuff's worked through, but it's, it's worked really well for us. Good. So we're going to turn and, and a reminder to, um, the attendees at, at front, you know, people are using the chat, which I think is great, but if you have questions, please do submit those via the Q and a, um, cause I am monitoring that for questions follow-ups to ask everybody. There's a lot of interest in virtual Kaizen events. That was definitely one of the topics we planned on discussing here today. So I'm going to start with Chris and then we'll go to, uh, no, we'll start with Muhammad and then go to Chris. Um, if you can talk about your experience with um, a virtual Kaizen event recently, if you want to incorporate thoughts about how to go and see um, as, as you're telling us about that, um, Muhammad, if you can go ahead on that. Absolutely. So, um, this has actually been a very sensitive topic in the lean community to do or not to do. And I've, I'm going to, you know, admit that I was one of the skeptical people out there that said, you know, it's, it's, it really can't be done. The, the human element goes away. The, you know, you're really solving for the emotions and you're solving for the, the, the people side of things and the virtual will take that away. And I had a client who, um, really was, you know, pushed it off and pushed it off and, and but was really passionate about this Kaizen. And so we decided we're going to do this five-day Kaizen. 
it was actually just a few weeks ago. So it's kind of a little fresh in my head. And uh, so I'll speak a little bit about that. Um, and I've learned a lot from that experience too. things that I would do different next time and as well as things that were extremely successful. But I'm going to start with the pre-Kaizen stuff. Um, and in the, in the, in the pre-Kaizen stuff, so we jumped in the Kaizen and there's things that we did that was just by luck. And I would kind of advise you do it. And then there's things that we didn't do that I would say, you know, in the virtual environment, these things are probably worth, uh, worth focusing on. So uh, one thing is that in, in a physical or a non-physical environment, you, the sponsorship commitment is, is, is extremely important. Um, and I think that that speaks very strongly. Like if you, if the sponsor isn't really committed to this Kaizen, the Kaizen pretty much doesn't have hope, regardless if it's physical or non-physical. I have found it in the virtual environment. You have to put extra emphasis on that because there's a lot more distractions that actually happen. Um, and, uh, and so I would say more sponsorship commitment, the pre-Kaizen in the virtual environment, um, one thing that we ran into in the pre-Kaizen was the data gathering. So historically in the physical, you would go to the Gemba, you would walk the floors, you would measure things on your own, um, and you would you know, tag, in my case, patients, one or two or three patients for that product, and you kind of would follow it, and that's it, your data. Even though your systems are telling you a million things, as a practitioner, that's pretty much what you're going to go with. Um, in the virtual, that wasn't true. So we actually had to rely on the systems and the data they gave us. And so, you know, there was a lot of debates of the accuracy of that data that came out of the Kaizen. Um, and unfortunately, we spent a lot of time debating that accuracy where if we would have done this physical, we would have had the chance to walk the floor pre that. So I think that's one, 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 one challenge that I ran into. Um, Stakeholder interviewing in, in, a, in a physical setting, when you walk the floor, you would actually engage into these people. So you would kind of get the feeling who's passionate about certain things, who's, you know, going to be a little bit, you know, um, uh, I'll use the word, have a lot of pride in what they do and not really want to change. Uh, and so in the virtual environment, I felt like that, that was missing. I found all, I found that all out in the Kaizen itself. Um, and so, you know, the balance of having people that are passionate and people that are, you know, cheerleaders and that piece for me was kind of a surprise in the Kaizen where in the physical, I would have caught that in the pre-Kaizen. So I think that's another challenge. Um, team size, you know, every rule in the book tells you not to make a big Kaizen team. I break it almost every time. So I'll, I'll admit to that. But in the physical, if you have a team of 16 people, you know, with, with, with the help of your facilitators, you could pretty much still do it. Um, in the virtual environment, I tried to replicate that. And I'm going to tell you that was extremely too big of a Kaizen team. Like, um, I would say if I was to do it again, 12 would be my max number. And I'll explain a little bit more in that in the Kaizen. Sure. Um, Pre-technology -pre um, or pre-technology overview that we did do. So uh, getting people oriented in Mural because you could map things out as a team. Uh, everyone's hand is in the pot so they could actually put post-its up themselves and move things around and draw arrows. Uh, we did a pre-Kaizen training, which in most, a lot of the Kaizens, you do do a, a training beforehand. You just focus on the tools that are going to be used in the Kaizen and less about the technology where in this one was more about the technology and less about the tools. So they got to experience mural before the Kaizen uh, the week before and kind of got comfortable. And there's some people that were very, uh, uh, you know, you have some shop floor people here in this Kaizen. And so they, they, they did not have uh, the comfort of using this technology, but they did 
in the pre-Kaizen. So they were comfortable going into it and just Zoom and breakouts and how it feels and stuff like that. So we got all that taken care of in the pre-Kaizen. Um, I would say that's a critical step that you, you should not miss. We got lucky that we did it uh, because some people were complaining that they're worried that it might not work. But if these people hadn't complained, I don't know if we would have done it. So I think we got lucky there, but it is a practice that I would carry on. And the last thing is, uh, I'm going to talk about the virtual Kaizen right now, but there is going to be a distinguishing factor between a virtual Kaizen in a COVID times and a virtual Kaizen in non-COVID times, because I do think there's a huge value in virtual Kaizens moving forward as we evolve um, for the future. However, it might not you know, the, the non-COVID times does not mean we don't do virtual anymore. No, there's values in virtual and there's actually advantages of doing it. But the COVID does add a new layer to it that, you know, I'll, I'll speak to. So we jumped in the Kaizen. Um, there was a lot of time wasted in the beginning just to kind of make sure everyone was comfortable, test technologies, put together some ground rules. And I'm going to tell you, um, it is a hundred times more productive virtually um, when every single person is looking straight at you because they can't, they, you know, they can't just walk away. They can't disengage. They're all like hundred percent focused eyes on you, um, when you're talking. And so everyone's attention I found to be in the moment. So huge benefit there. Uh, so whatever we lost in the beginning of getting everyone comfortable, uh, and just getting to know each other and introducing and people going a little longer, I think that was good. However, in the beginning, we didn't put a lot of ground rules in place and we kind of had to stop, put more ground rules and move on because there were people speaking over each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to speak on Zoom actually over each other, not harder. And so, but as a facilitator, you also have the mute option <laughs> where you can just mute everyone. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I, I did have to result to that sometimes. Um, and, and I think it actually came in, it was a huge benefit. Um, there's a raise your hand feature so as a facilitator, um, there, it was easy for me to see, okay, there's six hands up in the order they came in. We're in a physical world. Some people are standing in the back. I might not see them. They might be in my blind spot. So I think that was extremely helpful. Now, I got very lucky in this Kaizen because I had two uh, individuals who were kind of helping as leaders uh, in this Kaizen who have very strong continuous improvement and facilitation skills. And I had one of my students uh, who's in my, the master's program who was also part of this, Troy, and uh, and he's he's very like high, very high end facilitator here that we're talking about, and has done kaizens before and stuff like that. And he kind of he he engaged in this kaizen with me, but because of the team size, I wouldn't have been able to do it without those three, mm-hmm. because they served as facilitators. They went into different breakout rooms, and I didn't in, in a physical environment. Um, I might've caught that, but in the virtual one, I was like, uh, you know what? Everyone's on the same screen. Do I really need that many facilitators? It's going to be easy. So I let that one go. And then when I realized I have an issue, I kind of leaned on them and they kind of stepped up and helped out. So I would say in the virtual environment, you need just as many facilitators as in the physical. It looks like you don't, but you actually do. Um, and, uh, and so that's kind of about the, the physical. The one thing I learned in doing the physical, and if you're using Zoom, this only applies to Zoom. I don't know if it, what other platforms would do this, but my first breakout rooms, I had four teams that I was breaking out. And so I, I created four rooms. Uh, sounds like what anyone would do. But once you break out the rooms, you can't add more rooms. Um, and so um, and so you would have to bring everyone back together, erase it, and then break out again into more rooms. So I got used to just creating like seven or eight rooms um, and only filling four of them. 
And then when two people wanted to talk on the side, pulling them out and throwing them in a different room. And that way I don't disrupt anyone. I didn't realize that until the afternoon of day one. I think that's tip for yourself. If you ever want to do breakout rooms, double whatever number you need, hmm. because you will need people to have side conversations around something specific or technical that they want to talk about. So I, that came out. Um, I think one thing I didn't do, and I now in the future virtual Kaizen's I'm going to do is just have a post-it pad behind me. I think that that's, that's important. Not everything could be done through mural. There are some stuff that you just want to parking lot it, or you just, you know, it's a, it's a good idea, but it's off topic, but you don't want to lose it and stuff like that. And people want to see that you caught it. Um, like they don't. And so like me jotting on a little notepad, it doesn't do it for them. Like they need to see it physical. So I had people repeating things over and over and over again around, um, like, you know, did you capture this? Did you capture this? Did you capture this? So like, I would suggest for the, any facilitator. And in my case, I had three other ones. They all could have had a post-it pad behind them. And I think that would have resolved some of the questions that we were going to get. So that's, um, that's the, the kind of the, the scope of the Kaizen itself. The one thing, uh, before I move on to post Kaizen is, um, I did notice that if you have, you know, the team size in a breakout room, anything over four is not productive. Um, and so I found the teams that were threes and fours, it actually threes were like the ideal breakout room. Like those people took their counter, their, took their root cause, um, went into it with a bunch of countermeasures, tested and tested and tested and got it done. Um, one thing that we captured in the pre Kaizen and we took out with us in the, in the post Kaizen is, um, that we took the concepts of quick changeover. That's really what this is all about is like what's internal, what's external. Um, everything that's external that you could do without being physically with the machine running. And in this case, the physical plant, okay. Um, you could do virtually. Um, and so, um, and then everything that requires that physical plant, you could, you have to be physical there. So, and so we actually leverage the tools of quick changeover throughout this Kaizen as if it was a big quick changeover Kaizen with other tools within it. So 5S standard work, all that stuff came inside the quick changeover concept. Um, but that's all we did. We just said, okay, what could be done internally? What could be done externally? And then the stuff that could be done externally, we tried to optimize it or delete it. And the stuff that was required internally, we postponed to the 30 day report out. Um, and, and that we said, you know, let's get all these stuff out of the way first, and then we'll do the stuff that requires physical. Now in the COVID times, that's why we pushed it out to the 30 day In the non COVID times, it could have been three days virtual. And then two days, Tyler, Chris, and Mark and I fly out to this, to a, one client and go in there and do a physical, but we don't need to be there for five days. They don't, the, the client doesn't have to pay for the hotels and all that stuff that comes with it. So it's a cost saving for the other individuals too. So Virtual that that hybrid internal external changeover concept I think will apply for the for the future regardless um, of what happens with the COVID times it makes it a little hard. Yeah, and maybe before did you still have more you wanted to say about post kaizen? The only thing about post kaizen I wanted to say was that just the thirty day um, changes a little bit. It's not just a follow up anymore about things that were in the Kaizen newspaper. It's actually there's physical stuff that were countermeasures that are not tested yet. Um, and so the it, it's, it's not a two hour wrap up Kaizen newspaper meeting that you're putting together. No, there's some time that, you know, we're talking about making it one or two days um, because it requires that physical presence and it requires you to test things on site. And so the Kaizen, even though it was five days, 
it's really seven because those two days might be out there. And, um, and so that's the only thing I want to say about post Kaizen is that it's not just a report out. It's, there's actual physical testing in, in the same kind of concept as if it's a, a mini Kaizen and it's on its own. Okay. Well, thanks, Mohammed. So we're going to turn to Chris. And we had a question that came in from Adam, which I think tees you up well, Chris, and anything else you want to add about doing virtual Kaizen events. Did the length of a Kaizen day have to be shortened for a virtual Kaizen? Did you? And also, he asked, did you make any modification for breaks just because of the realities of people working at home? Yeah, so um, that's perfect. I, I, I found in personal experience that virtually – Two hours is about as far as you can go on a, on a session or a question with um, with, with Kaizen. Um, yeah, the, the the benefit of um, you know working where we work now is um, I, I left it open. Said, hey, look, um, we're gonna we're gonna go two hours, but if for whatever reason you have to get up and go uh, take care of um, yeah, we have to offer a lot of grace right now. I mean, because everything's different for for folks. So um, you know dogs, kids, um, you know, uh, some uh, spouses that are working in a, in a similar spot. Um, so you, you get to give them a little bit of grace, but if you say up front, Hey, we're going to go for two hours, people pretty much stay for two hours. Um, now you may, you may do multiple two hour sessions in a day. So do a two hour block, give them two hours and then come back after, uh, after that and do another two hour block. But that's kind of, um, uh, what I found was, uh, most beneficial. Um, but if, you know, if somebody has to go, they have to go. I mean, don't, don't hold them, don't hold them in a virtual presence. Um, uh, from that standpoint, one of the other things that, uh, you think about with, and Muhammad kind of, uh, alluded to that is when you're in a conference room, you, you don't really see the people that are sitting beside you in the periphery or whatnot. But when you're, when you're on a, a Microsoft teams call, you have everybody's facial expression. You, you know, it's almost like, um, nonverbal overload at first. So if you're not used to it, uh, like you can see, uh, you, you can see everybody. And I, the raise hand feature, um, Microsoft Teams just released that last week. That's been great uh, in the sense that um, people can say, hey, wait, I, I've got a moment. Um, the other thing that I found was helpful just as, as setting up an approach. It's similar to like what um, uh, we do with webinars and, and that having someone that's designated to be the moderator for your chat, right? So, um, you know, using that chat feature, not letting anything go. So if there's a presentation, people do chat uh, and put questions in the chat along the way. And then that moderator uh, comes in and says, hey, we've got a question from Tyler. And he asks, and, and, it, and it keeps, it makes Tyler feel like he's recognized. And then it also keeps the discussion going. And there's things that you may not have covered uh, that you, know, you need to come back to and work through as a team. We're going to take a quick pause. Um, questions are still coming in and we still have a lot of other topics, but we want to uh, make a few announcements about upcoming webinars and other resources that are available uh, from, from us here at Kinexus. So this is again, part of our Kinexus webinar series. You can learn more at kinexus.com slash webinars. If you are a Kinexus customer, like Tyler and Chris's organizations are. You can attend the uh, monthly training team office hours uh, with Adam and Matt. That's going to be June 11th, so next Thursday at 1 o'clock. And then our next um, open-to-everybody presentation-style webinar is going to be held on 
June 16th, we've got a, a group of four presenters are all uh, affiliated in different ways with Purdue University. And they're going to be presenting on what they call a TP cubed approach to managing manufacturing competitiveness after the pandemic. And I would invite people, if, if you're not in a manufacturing company, they are going to be talking about supply chain issues that would probably apply in healthcare. Um, Angus McLeod is going to be talking about um, you know, the people side of manufacturing enterprise competitiveness. I think there would be lessons uh, for people in other industries. So we do want everyone to feel welcome um, to that webinar, even though they're all bringing very deep manufacturing experience. Um, Roy Vasher was an executive at Toyota um, here in North America um, before retiring and getting involved in other things. So Roy, Steve, Ananth, and Angus are going to be all presenting together um, next uh, in a couple of weeks on the 16th. We have other resources. Uh, we've got the webinar on-demand library. All of our past webinars are available there. There's a, a button on the side of the kinexus.com slash webinars page. This webinar recording will be archived there. You can also find um, the webinars on our Kinexus YouTube channel. Uh, we invite you to check out our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And uh, we have a podcast series where, uh, again, the audio from today's webinar will be there in our podcast feed. We encourage you to subscribe, basically any app or website where you might get podcasts. So that's the, uh, the quick pause for announcements. And um, let's get back into um, our questions. So, and we have a lot of questions that came in from people on this topic we had planned uh, to cover around um, different styles of virtual mapping, whether that's part of a virtual Kaizen event or part just kind of standalone um, analysis activity. Um, so Tyler, we'll, we'll start with you. If you want to kind of share what you've been doing in terms of value, uh, virtual mapping, what tools have you used, what's different about trying to do this in a virtual setting? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, for me, process mapping is one of the most effective tools there is in helping us understand our processes. And uh, it's really not, as we know, just about creating the map. It's really the learning you know, that takes place while we're building and developing that map. Um, that what, that's what's important, obviously. And so um, I always tend to think, you know, having everybody in a room and we can use post-it notes and move things around is, is you know, is, as good as it can get. Um, and so in, in our virtual setting, we've been playing around and, and experimenting with a few different uh, methods. And so one thing you could do uh, is you could use a screen share of, of your mapping software. So again, we would, we would create, um, uh, a video conference in Microsoft Teams. And then we use uh, Visio, which is a Microsoft product to do our mapping. And you can facilitate that conversation and you can have people tell you what the process is. Um, that might be how most people do it. You have one person facilitate, one person move uh, the different uh, you know shapes around on the screen. Um, what well, I found that to be, you know, a bit more complicated than, than it needed to be, uh, at least in a virtual environment. Um, so oftentimes I would, I would misunderstand somebody about what the process was or where it should go. Um, in person, when you have those kind of issues, you just say, well, just come up here and show me where this should go. So you could, you know, easily move things around. Um, so initially when I tried to facilitate everything with just drawing it myself, I ran into a bunch of issues of rework, extra processing. So, um, to avoid that, I started looking into different ways, you know, we could collaborate on a document, uh, in real time simultaneously. Yeah. So there's other, you know, tools, lucid, different things that, that have been brought up. Uh, what we use, um, it just 
creativity before cost. And since we use Office 365, we just use PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. And so there's a feature within PowerPoint um, that, uh, or excuse me, within Office 365 that you can edit documents in real time simultaneously. So we would start a, a, a video conference via Teams. And then, um, you know, and as Muhammad said, you know, we don't want more than, you know, five people doing this at a time. Yeah. Uh, it can be, you know, a mess. And so um, start the video conference, have everybody um, load the file and click edit at the same time. And then, you know, what I would do is I would take the PowerPoint file and whether it's a swim lane or just a regular process map, I would move the shapes to the left side of the screen. So I got your rectangles, yeah. uh, your connectors, you know, everything like that. And then um, once everybody's in there, instead of me just moving around, I have them go in and move things. And there's a little, you know, flag when something's happening, when somebody's moving something, you can see something is being done. So I know not to touch that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what I found is, is obviously, uh, um, it, it turned out to be much more engaging, uh, much more accurate. And, um, I, I think it just, um, it, it just led to an overall better experience for those rather than just sitting there watching me do something. I think the learning is much better being engaged. And so, um, I would really encourage, you know, if you have PowerPoint to try that, um, you know, if you have Google slides, um, uh, keynote for Apple, I'm not sure of all the other platforms, if those would work or not, but, you know, rather than going out and, and, and looking at purchasing a software to do that, just play around with what you already have access to, uh, and just see if that works out for you. Yeah. I mean, along those lines, um, I'm going to jump in as a panelist just briefly. Um, healthcare client that I was working with, um, we had access to Google Sheets. So Tyler, exactly like you said, we could have um, multiple people moving, creating, editing in a, um, a, a truly participatory way instead of being a spectator because um, that was free. Um, it was available. But let's, let's talk briefly because, uh, Mohammed, there was a, a follow-up question um, and, and there's confusion around these similarly named tools. There's Miro, M-I-R-O, I believe. Then there's Mural, which is like a painting on the walls, the way it's spelled. So they were asking, um, when you had mentioned Muhammad, did you say Miro or Mural? Mural, M-U-R-A-L. With the A-L, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and any other thoughts on, on virtual mapping, Muhammad? And then I'll ask you, Chris. So like... Initially, we were going in disguise and thinking of using uh, Jamboard. Uh, it's a feature in, in, in Google, and it allows multiple people to do it. Only issue with that, and maybe it's in there, and I, we just couldn't find it, was that the icons of mapping weren't like pre-installed. Um, and so w- what distinguished Mural for us is that it allowed you to create multiple sheets, just like a Jamboard, really. There was absolutely no difference between the two but it had all the icons and the snap features of Visio. And so like it allowed us to like draw a line, circle things, color code post-it, post-its, uh, change the size of the post-its, which is a Jamboard issue. Um, and, so, um, and so these are, that's why we lean towards that um, uh, mural over the, over the Jamboard. Um, I would say if you already have Jamboard and these features are in there and we just haven't figured it out, then you're good there. Uh, but we found Muro, uh, the other one that you talked about, Mark, was on our table of like looking into. But when we went to Muro and we found everything that we needed in there, we just paused. We said, this works. Let's just go with it. Um, and so for us, the, that mapping and having everyone in, similar to what Tyler was saying, everyone being able to do it simultaneously, people were doing different parts of the map at the exact same time. Um, and then we just reviewed it all as a team, 
cut our mapping time almost by 50%. Um, and we didn't have to worry about spelling issues or telling them about like, you know, could you repeat that again? Because they were just typing it in themselves. Um, so I think that that helped out a lot. Chris, what, what are some of your experiences here recently? Yeah, so um, we've been uh, similar to um, some of the things that have been said here. It's that uh, using, uh, we were using Visio and uh, sharing control of the screen through Microsoft Teams. Um, I hadn't thought about using the uh, Microsoft PowerPoint, so I, I took the pen and jotted that down. <laughs> If, yeah. In a virtual reality, I jot this down up here for you, Tyler. That was a great idea, but um, <laughs> yes. I don't want to lose that. But, um, you know, I, I think uh, and then also uh, along those lines, we have used collaborative documents um, uh, using Microsoft Teams. Like, for instance, um, we are using it for Excel. We have used for PowerPoint, um, but there hasn't been that live editing at the same time. So I'm I'm eager to try that one out. Yeah, the only thing I would say on that, you know, when you start doing that in in PowerPoint or anything is is just avoid the connectors until last, right? Let people move yeah. the shapes around. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, if, if you know how to map, you go in there and just finish that off for everybody else and then finish yeah. the job in Visio and upload it to wherever you need to go. But uh, otherwise, it's just, you know, you're, you're, Muhammad, you mentioned it's going to cut your time in half and it's probably going to add 50% if, you know, if you start getting with connectors and you got to delete everything. So yeah. uh, just avoid those initially if you can. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do like I do like in Visio. They do have um, there's a module out there you can purchase called EVSM, which is actually really powerful for uh, value stream mapping. Um, but you know, it, it, I guess um, for unless you're coming up with really complex value stream maps, right. a simple process flow can be done with Microsoft. Uh, you know, any of the Microsoft suite. Yeah, um, I do. I do know that Mural has a, uh, and I, I'm not selling Mural here. Like it, it does have a, a significant amount of features that we didn't explore during this Kaizen that we said, you know what, let's just put all these on hold until we come back. But I think one of the things, Tyler, that you were speaking as the connectors, mm-hmm. like I made that mistake, like in the first 30 minutes of doing this and we had to stop and said, all right, yeah. no more connectors. Let's just move post-its around because right. it just right. like Visio, it drags every line with yeah. it. Exactly. Uh, and so we had to stop that. But there is a feature in Mural that after you're done with the map, you could just auto all the oh, connectors okay. together, um, which oh. saved a significant amount of time. Yeah. Uh, we did not do it, so I, I can't speak to it, but we we manually did it. And then after we did it, someone told me about it. I was like, oh, all right, I'll have to explore hmm. that. So that, Should have written that down. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that might be a feature that's in there too that I, I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so a question for Tyler and Chris, um, you know, as Kinexus customers, how are you incorporating Kinexus into um, the, the improvement work? Tyler, you want to go first? Yeah. So, um, so for us, I mean, Kinexus facilitates all of our continuous improvement, um, and to make sure that I guess we we simplify it for employees. Again, we use Teams. Sound like a broken record, but we have a, a specific team that's company wide. Everybody in the company is included on that, uh, and so they access um, Kinexus through Teams. So, and we have single uh, sign on, so they don't have to remember passwords. It makes it very simple because everything is, is in teams. Um, but we use it to facilitate all of our projects, uh, any sort of opportunity for improvement uh, that somebody has while working remotely or anywhere, you know, you can go in there and submit that idea. Um, that has sort of a hierarchy built in of, of where that needs to go, depending on, you know, the, um, the impact of the, the problem potentially. 
Um, and so we use, we use Kinexis to facilitate every, you know, component in project management along with our projects. So all of that, um, for improvement happens within Kinexis. And, and I would say the other thing is, um, what we really use Kinexis for is to, is to, uh, monitor engagement. I think that's been one of the biggest things, um, in, in a virtual environment is looking to see who's logging into the system, who's putting ideas in so that people don't just feel left out in an Island. Uh, it provides a great coaching opportunity for us to monitor what's going on. Um, and so if somebody hasn't been in Kinexis for a while, that's a conversation, you know, their leader can have with them. Um, so really just to facilitate all of our continuous improvement, uh, in terms of the project management aspect of it and reporting on, you know, impact and, um, uh, different resolutions that way. So, uh, it's been awesome. Yeah, I would, I would echo that. Um, Mark, I think, uh, the most, the, the, the sites that are, that I have that are the most productive, um, are using Kinexus. They're logging in every day and they also have, um, uh, groups of champions that are, you know, you know CI leaders or, or CI facilitators, um, at those sites. And that group is meeting, um, every other week for an hour via, you know, virtually. And they're looking at, uh, they're looking at the pipeline. They're looking at the, the Kanban of, um, what came in new, what, what's planned, what's, what's, uh, what's active and then what's overdue. And they're, they're talking collaboratively. And so, that meeting is a, is a really, it's a, it's a safe environment. It's a nurturing environment. It's a, uh, it, it's collaborative. Um, and a lot of work gets done in that meeting because there's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a, a rapid Kaizen for the site where they, they're, they're looking at multiple things and, and OIs at a time. Uh, and they're able to, you know, solve things or resolve things in that meeting. Um, and, and then go back and, and close out with the individual who submitted the idea. Um, and so we're still using, um, you know, the, 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 I guess the location summary, uh, a lot, uh, for, uh, myself and, and, uh, members of my team that do the management aspect of Kinexus, we're looking to see when people have, um, uh, have done, uh, logged into Kinexus the last time. We're looking at location summary. We're looking at activity by person. Um, looking at that item curve is, is, a, is a quick way to judge whether you're on track or off track for, for what you have. And then we have a global call for all of our champions um, once a month where we go through those metrics. And so we, we, can pay, we, we, we uh, keep it at a very high level. Um, we recognize some individual contributors, but then also – we're creating that um, positive, you know, competition tension between uh, the different groups. Um, and then uh, one of the things I, lo- I love that we do the most is using the honor roll. We'll, we'll uh, go through and site leaders will honor roll the different ones that they want out. And then we'll pull those out and use those as a, uh, do some follow-up or maybe like a, um, a quick video with your, um, uh, with your cell phone and just, record the improvement or give the person in their words to talk about the improvement and send that out globally to give that person recognition of, of, uh, of innovation, of ingenuity, of creativity. And then just the best ideas that you solve are usually the ones that are just so simple and everybody steps over it every day. And it's like, Hey, I'm tired of you guys stepping over this. I picked it up and look, look at what the results are. Um, so it's just I'm going to tee up. We're going to talk a little bit about what you've done with virtual training, but we've got a few attendee questions. 
might do rapid fire. It might be as simple as yes or no for some of these questions. But has anyone used smart glass technology, smart glasses to go and see or provide views for mm. remote team members? No. No. Yeah. If they That's make you smarter, I'll buy, I'll buy a pair. I mean, I, I, can use, I use all the help I can get. Um, there's a question uh, for you in particular, Tyler. Have your team members used, I guess this is a Microsoft um, product, Dynamics 365 Remote Assist um, with, with Microsoft Teams? Yeah, not, not that I'm familiar with. I mean, somebody, I'm not too sure what that even is, to be honest with you. Um, so I can't say right. that we have or not, unfortunately. Okay. All right, that's fine. And then there's a question here. Um, has anyone used Bcast um, for no. collaboration or brainstorming or no? No. All right. So a couple yes and no questions. All right. Um, so on, on, on the topic of virtual training and virtual events, you know, everyone has something to add. Um, Tyler, let me, let me start with you. I see, I recognize some books in the background. I see the Lean Startup. Is that good to great? above it in the red um that's the uh business of expertise oh okay. uh, different book yeah no measures book. of success I mean, what, you know <laughs> oh that's I in was, there that's I, in there i wasn't <laughs> criticizing and i wasn't uh, <laughs> um but you, you you've been doing some virtual book clubs if, if you could talk about that tyler as a way of learning and developing people uh chris was that was that you guys doing the that was, yeah, book clubs? yeah so oh, that was chris. We, okay sorry uh, but yeah, um, we would definitely go uh, pull out of Tyler's library. That's for sure. So um, it's kind of neat. This this kind of grew organically. It wasn't um, uh, a top down or, or approaches that uh, small groups started forming and 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 wrapping themselves around uh, different groups. So we've had uh, multipliers by Liz Wiseman and Greg McEwen. Great book. Um, I, I, if you haven't read it, I would absolutely uh, recommend it. Um, we're, uh, got a group starting up about drive by Daniel Pink, um, uh, making of a manager, uh, uh, my personal favorite, um, out of the crisis by Deming. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's something that all, I'm sure all of us have read at some point in time along the way. It's great to pull that book back out and read it again and just have a focused discussion about it because, um, you know, crisis can also be knocked out of a sense of comfort. Um, and, and it's a way to, uh, to think of, how are we gonna? How are we gonna solve the problems that are in front of us? Uh, and the fourteen points still they they apply uh, regardless uh, from that standpoint. But what I love about the book clubs is um, they have they keep them small. We may they may have multiple groups reading the same book at the same time, but uh, it's no more than seven eight people uh, assigned to that group. There's a facilitator. There's a set of questions. One chapter a week, um, but. Um, it, it keeps the mind sharp. Um, and, uh, it also, it gives folks something that they can come together and have camaraderie about and, 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 uh, something in common for discussions. And I think that also, uh, goes a long way in building that sense of community, which can get lost sometimes, uh, when we're all, um, doing the short commute up the steps and, uh, not putting on pants without a drawstring. Uh, you know, you need you need to to maintain that sense of community and that sense of team with uh, with your teammates. Yeah, yeah. I've got many paper copies around, but it's also on my uh, phone on my Kindle app. Um, out of the crisis, I I think he was decades ahead of yeah. his time um, in 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 a lot of ways. But um, 
And, and so, yeah, it took me 50 some minutes to mess up. Um, so I did a Kaizen. I, I, I did a freeze pane across the top row of who was which column. Um, so sorry about that mix up. But Tyler, you, you yeah. and Ascentech have been doing a lot of different things around virtual development, if you can talk to that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one of the things that, that we've been doing uh, during this time is really to try to develop or just rethink our training materials uh, to write it, try to really focus on the individual learner themselves. And, and so I guess what I mean by that is, you know, people obviously learn in different ways. And historically, when we would conduct training uh, within our organization, it would be in a classroom setting. It'd be at the Gemba. Um, and, and when you do that, obviously you get a combination of, of, of different uh, traditional types of learning. So you get visual auditory reading, writing, more tactile things like kinesthetic methods, um, and, and then f- at least for me, when we moved into the virtual environment, you know, for whatever reason, and even, you know, obviously before COVID-19, we've done virtual uh, webinar, different things. It just feels different. Um, so as an example, I wouldn't have any problem going to a week long conference for six to eight hours a day, you know, just nonstop going and doing a, a networking event at night repeat. But, you know, it's tough for me to sit on my computer every, you know, for two hours in a day straight. Right. So, um, so I guess the question for all of us is why is that? And so we've been really looking at um, uh, redoing uh, our, our training. And so um, I just think we're missing out sometimes on the engagement piece. And there's a certain energy that you know people have when we're all in the same room. Um, and sometimes we just don't have that at home. And so one of the things we've been asking, you know, is is you know home conducive for learning? Is it a good learning environment? Um, you know, where there's so many distractions at home. Um, and a lot of times we do it just because we have to, but how effective is it? Um, and so, uh, what we've been doing, you know, we, we've been looking at, you know, trying to understand the effectiveness. How do people learn? You know, obviously if you do more hands-on learning, you're more likely to remember it. Um, and that's because you're, you're, you're utilizing multiple senses. So one of the things, again, we've made a priority, um, is to create that content in different formats. And so, um, we did an assessment last year, late last year, company-wide to sort of help gauge, the uh, uh, our lean culture in the organization, and so that helped us uncover a lot of things that we you know, could still improve. Um, so we already had that as kind of a head start, and so what I've been doing is putting together content, and so obviously presentations. Um, so I'd be recording those sessions, putting them into videos, um, which makes it really good for somebody who's a visual learner to have something on demand. Um, and then I've been you know trying to repurpose those videos, e- extract the audio, and make something like a podcast. Uh, out of the the presentation, so you know that's that, that's really good for you know people who have excess free time. We're not driving to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just maybe some more downtime than there is at the office for you know certain types of positions, and so um, you know it's just something to have on you know while while you're working potentially or going for a walk. So you know podcasts have been really good, and then off of those, um, you can create additional content, blogs. You can create white papers. Um, you know, you could have somebody transcribe audio if that's what you wanted, or what you can do is you can collaborate and have, you know, some of your employees, you know, write white papers on things that they're learning, right? Uh, write blog posts yeah. on things that they're learning. You can upload that to, you know, your internet site for us, it's Microsoft Teams. Um, but the question still remained is, is how, you know, do you, do you get more of the hands-on um, learning in the virtual environment? And so one of the things we've done, uh, as Mohammed mentioned earlier, is the breakout rooms. And so within teams, it's a lot more difficult to set up. They don't have the, the breakout function. 
Um, but just as a quick example of how this might look. So if we were doing a, a training session on say standard work, what it is, why it's important, you know, I might start a meeting with 25, uh, people and we start going through the presentation. And then when it's time to do a group activity, uh, what I would do is break them out into smaller rooms <clears throat> and, uh, just make sure it's no more than five, four or five, as Muhammad said. Um, and so if you do have zoom, I would, I would recommend using zoom for that. Uh, but you can definitely use Microsoft Teams. It just takes a lot more planning um, in advance. And um, so, it, again, if the training is on standard work, some of you are probably familiar with the activity of draw a pig. You know, so that's basically an activity that's done to show the importance of standard work and how it helps reduce variance and, and improve quality. And so, you know, in, in a group setting, you just have everybody uh, with very generic instructions, draw a pig, show everybody, you know, how the pig looked. And of course, initially every pig looks different, right? Um, and so if you're doing this remotely, you just have them hold up the picture to the camera. Very simple, accomplish the same thing, but now we're driving engagement with that. Um, and then, you know, you go through the rest of the, the presentation, um, work through the standard work document at the end, have them hold up the same document or, or their pig again. And it's, you know, they're almost identical. So that's just one example of how you can, you know, do group activities remotely. You know, we just have to to sort of think through how we can do that again. Um, but I mean, it, it does take a lot of time, but this is something I think that we're going to continue doing when we get back in the office is just uh, have so many different uh, methods um, and, and content for people to really just consume it however they want um, in their free time or so. Okay. Yeah, um, so more before, I just want to make a quick announcement and I want to ask, I've got a follow-up from Muhammad. Um, we, we are running um, a little bit over. We still have 151 people here. So thank you. If you uh, have to duck out, we are recording uh, until the end and we will post that. But um, I'm sorry, what was that, Chris? No, I was just going to say um, one of the things that we use uh, is we have Cornerstone as a global learning platform for the company. And then with that, we've got a subscription to LinkedIn Learning. And um, so there's uh, anything that you can think about, almost like searching a library, you can search for, uh, you know, a specific topic. And in one of our meetings, uh, we, we try to set up that there's a, a scribe and a moderator for every, every meeting, just a good, good meeting practice. Well, there was an employee who had never been the scribe before. Uh, she went to the Cornerstone platform and looked up being a good meeting scribe. Mm. self-trained for, you know, you know, 30, 30 minutes or so, and then, uh, came back and was spectacular. And, mm. uh, you know, and, and the person who was leading the meeting says that that was great. You know, I, I thought, I thought that, uh, you did a great job. She said, well, I went on LinkedIn learning and I learned how to do it. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's, um, don't limit people's ability to self-direct and self-train because they'll amaze you every time. Mm. Cool. Now, Mohammed, I wanted to ask you, I think you were one of the first, if not the first person I saw who had pivoted to doing a virtual conference. If you can share some of those experiences and what you learned from facilitating something that way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's benefits, pros and cons of being the first at stuff. So the one of, you know, I'm a managing partner of a company called M plus, which is primarily does uh, membership and conferences. And our first, you know, we had planned to do a conference before COVID hit and then when it hit, it just accelerated the process for us. And, uh, and so one of the things that we had to do is we actually had to change our entire lineup of what we were going to talk about because we had to address the immediate need. 
Um, and I think sometimes the conferences and, you know, I, I present that many and honestly, because they're virtual, it, it's cut down on travel significantly. Uh, so that's been a huge plus. But um, a lot of times we don't present on what the customer really needs. We present on what we know. Um, and so we actually, we, we had everything in place. We were about to go live. And then, you know, Crystal Davis is one of, one of our partners and Paul Critchley, both of them kind of st stopped the line and said, but is that really what people want? Um, and so, uh, and so we did a little bit of understanding what the customer needs are, and it was really, how do you lead during crisis? Leaders don't know how to do this virtually. They don't, they haven't experienced this. So we had to pivot the entire conference at that topic and we had people already signed up. Um, and so we had to send apology emails and stuff like that. And no one minded it. Actually, everyone appreciated that happened. Um, one thing of doing a virtual conference though, is that we had to hire a moderator for the whole entire day. Um, so that they could actually um, do everything that would have been done uh, in a physical one because we didn't really understand how, like, you know, how to do this. So we actually went out, looked at someone who's proficient in a virtual environment, not someone that's new, but someone's been doing it for years. We paid this person to come in and actually be our kind of backbone for this whole thing. So that's highly advisable, still advisable. Uh, now, if you have someone on your team that knows that stuff, that's great. We did not. Um, before that time, I didn't even know that Zoom had a breakout feature. I, I, I didn't have an account yet. So like, uh, so there's a lot of things that I learned from that. I didn't know that there's a Zoom webinar versus just a normal Zoom. So I had to purchase the Zoom webinar. So there's there was that aspect of it. Um, we had to have someone on our team dedicated to field questions um, so that we don't get interrupted as we go. Um, and and, and that, that was a huge help, which was different than the person that was kind of the backbone of recording and, 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 and clipping and all that. And the, the last thing I would say that I, we found to be uh, significant is that, so I'm just going to speak about myself. I, I can't say I'm not, this is not in general, but I go to conferences, you know, uh, to give back, to learn and to socialize. Um, and so networking for me is like the, the most important part of a conference. And so when you go virtual, that almost feels like it's been taken away from you. Um, and to, to some, to some extent. So I, we had to actually, between every two sessions, we had to bake in a networking social event. Um, so there were, and we had to cut down the, the actual time. So instead of it being 50 minute sessions, we had to go to 25 minute sessions. And then ev after every two 25 minute sessions, we gave everyone a half hour of just networking and created a few breakout rooms that people could go in there. And then we had the general room that you could just stay and talk to different people. Uh, and that allowed people to go see their kids back to what Chris was saying, that just the flexibility of doing this. And then they would come back, we'd give them two more. And then again, another, uh, and, and we got that the more social aspect of it, the networking aspect was actually a piece they were missing because it was only, it was three weeks after the COVID hit. So people were at that peak of wanting to talk to other people. Um, so that, I think for us, that was the virtual conference aspect of it that I, I, I we found significant. Yeah, well, thanks. And, you know, just around virtual networking, um, Muhammad, you and I have participated in, um, you know, there's one group that I organized, uh, our friend Paul Critchley organized one that I, I forget if you were on, but, you know, I think um, that's really important in this day and age. And for what it's worth, I would encourage people, you know, to, to, to schedule those and um, don't, don't post the link publicly on social media. <laughs> um, I know somebody 
who got burned by that. And I learned what Zoom bombing was. That (laughs) was before Zoom bombing hit the news. Um, That was a real thing. We were victimized by that. But we're not as bad as a school being hit by that. We're we're a bunch of adults, but still. Um, I I think doing virtual discussion groups, um, I facilitated a virtual book club on measures of success, virtual happy hours. So like so sometimes just to connect with people you already know, even not just to talk shop, but just to, to, to catch up and check in on how we're doing. Uh, you know, we've done that within, we've done a lot of that within the Kinexus team. We have kind of standing regular um, check-ins. We were doing it daily. We're now doing it three times a week. We've got a Friday happy hour. Um, we're doing virtual huddles as I know a lot of organizations are. So there's, and, you know, that balance um, of focusing on the work and focusing on the people. And sometimes it's worth getting together and saying, you know, what, we're not going to talk about uh, product roadmaps or future sales leads. Like it's really it's social because, you know, the people that are in the Kinexus offices together normally aren't getting that right now. And we've tried to replace that virtually. I think it's been really it's been important. Um, we had a, a couple of the questions that came in related about simulation and Tyler, I know you touched on, um, you know, kinesthetic activities, simulations, learning exercises, um, any, any thoughts on virtual lean simulations that help convey different lean concepts? Um, you know, something I, I I've seen and, and, you know, just trying to think through how we would do this with the technology, but just, just the whole concept of learning, you know, the PDSA methodology. Um, so is there a way to use a PowerPoint? Is there, um, and again, collaborate in, in real time. Um, is there a way to, to do that activity where, you know, we start off and let's, I know there's a card game, right? So you, know, you lay out all the cards and you just scatter them all over and they have to organize the cards and put them in order by suit. Um, could you create virtual, you know, cards within uh, PowerPoint? And could you have a team of people move things around and time it, you know, and then, you know, you teach, okay, and that was sort of, you know, the do act. Now we need to, you know, study and adjust and, and keep with those cycles. Um, I'm not too sure, you know, that that's, you know, a couple of things that, that have been in my mind. We haven't really, you know, gone through much of that, that yet outside of, you know, just generalized concepts of uh, like I talked about standard work and others, but uh, I, I want, you know, if anybody else has ideas, please reach out to me. I, I'd love to know more ways. Put them in the chat. Yeah. 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 And then I'll just tell you what they are. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if other people have experience with that, would love to hear it. Um, but yeah, I think it all revolves around just, you know, in, engagement, getting more people uh, with hands-on learning as much as we can. And, and for us, it's been utilizing teams and, and, and something like a PowerPoint or a Word document, completing it, you know, together. So uh, I don't have any, you know, specific activities outside of, you know, what I've mentioned, but, um, you know, reach out to me and, and, you know, if we can connect and we find some things, we'll keep it, keep each other in the loop. And somebody asked about things like Google Glass. I'm surprised nobody's brought up uh, VR goggles yet. Is it possible Mm. to do some sort of virtual reality simulation? Maybe that future will be accelerated a little bit. Yeah. So, Mark, I've been I've been looking into that. There, ha, there, there is. I, I've spent I think probably the last three months looking into the, the, those technologies, and 
they they haven't really pivoted to the the the, the speed that I thought they would because of everything that's going on. It's um, um, a lot of them teach you how to like. I think that the most advanced one I found was to teach you how to uh, present virtually. So they simulate that there's a conference and you could present, um, but those people aren't real people. And so I was like, okay, well, if you already have gone that far, you could just, you know, then just like <clears throat> clip them in on the end, the other end and you're done. And so, no, I, um, I'm, I'm struggling to, 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 to that, that has not come out yet. Yeah. That's, uh, that is not something I've been finding. Yeah. But if someone found it, please, again, below, let us know. <laughs> um, there's a couple other things we wanted to touch on include um, virtual coaching. I know, Chris, you've been doing some of this, and, and I'm interested to hear more of how you're incorporating uh, some TWI or training within industry methods as you do that. Yeah. That's so old I think, school, right? TWI, yeah, but it, it is old school, but um, uh, it's still cool, right? Yeah. But uh, no, I look, I keep my TWI job relations card right here, uh, right at my desk, right, right at hand's length, because um, when you're having, you know, I use it for my one on ones, uh, you know, for uh, that, that I have every week um, and they know to expect it. So if I don't have the card, they call me out on it, which which that's when, you know, behavior is has has, has baked in. It's taken place. But um, it makes sense. Uh, and, and really. TWI kind of helps focus the conversations in one-on-one meetings and one-on-one coachings with, uh, with folks because it's, you know, the basics are let each worker know how he or she is doing, you know, um, and point out ways to improve, give credit when due. Um, and I, I, I don't think you can understate that anymore right now. I mean, people need to hear good job. Um, they need to hear, Hey, I, I love the way that you did that. Uh, and, and, um, you can't, it, it, the, the note says, tell the person while it's hot, don't wait a week, you know, tell them right away. And it, now um, you can log into the keyboard. Microsoft Teams has a, a chat function built into it. It's, hey, man, good job. Or, uh, yeah. hey, that was that was great stuff that you did in that last meeting. That that makes sense, right? Um, this is a big one. Tell people in advance about changes that will affect them, mm-hmm. all right? And, uh, and tell people tell people why and uh, work with them to accept the change. Um, one of the... I guess one of the unwritten rules for our group is uh, no surprises. Uh, you know, if it comes up, it comes out um, and there shouldn't be any fear about sharing news. Uh, whether, you know, when you, when you take the adjective off of news, uh, whether it's bad news or good news and you're sharing news, you're communicating uh, and, and you're, you're helping the team. Um, and then uh, make the best use of each person's ability. Uh, now is you know, we're, we're finding out who's great with technology. Uh, we're finding out who's great with, um, with communication and presentation. We're finding out who's great with slides. We're, we're finding out who's not great with those things. So, I mean, um, I, I, and, I, and I think about this. Um, when we first started with Kinexus uh, a few years ago, someone put uh, as an OI that everyone in the department needed to go through Microsoft, Microsoft Excel training. And I remember thinking, that's going to be expensive, right? You know, I, I, I need to go understand that. So we, we go up and we have a conversation. It's like, well, why do you feel like you, your whole department needs Microsoft Excel training? And the individual goes, well, I, I didn't know how to make this kind of chart. So I figured if I didn't know, everyone else probably needed help too. And literally the person one cube over goes, I know how to make that chart. Right? <laughs> I, I, I can help you with that. I'd love to help you with that. And then the person in the cube behind says, I want to learn how to do that too. And before you know it, um, 
you instead of spending 60 grand and 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 you know flying a trainer in and doing high level training we just leveraged the internal capacity that we had uh, and that never would have happened without um having a conversation and then uh you know and and then having that conversation in a very public way right not not say hey come come, come in here in this room it's like uh, you know workspaces are collaborative so um you know when you're trying to make the best use of each person's ability when you're on a call, ask for help, right? Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Does anybody know how to do this? I'm, I'm working on this for a different project. Um, or, you know, hey, anybody know, having familiarity with this? You'll be amazed what comes out uh, just by raising your hand and asking a question. Great tips. Uh, thanks, Chris. Mohammed. I know you've been doing virtual coaching work. How, how are you facilitating that? How are you incorporating different technologies? Um, so for that, I've primarily been still just using uh, virtual, uh, using Zoom as as my main platform. The only thing I've done differently is um, I, little, I did a little bit more prep in advance um, of like, uh, you know, in a physical setting, you could read body languages a little bit more. You could, you know, you, you, you could tell people to go test things that maybe make them feel uncomfortable where in the virtual setting, it's hard to ask them to do certain things or to kind of push them out of their comfort zone because they're, it's, they're already out of their comfort zone to begin with um, just by being virtual. So there's a lot more empathy, I think, in virtual coaching that I find at least that I had to kind of put in front and center when I'm coaching someone that it's not just about the problem that we're trying to solve here, but there's so many other factors that need to be considered now, the home factor, the loss of job factor, the all these other factors that they might be going through emotionally. So I find when I'm coaching people that I'm, 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 I'm not just coaching to the problem. I'm just trying to keep this person motivated uh, to want to do one little baby step. Um, and there has been coaching calls that I didn't even talk about the problem. Uh, so how are you doing? How's the family doing? How are you guys surviving? Stuff like that. And, um, you know, who's sick in your family in these kind of conversation, we didn't talk about the problem at all because it wasn't the time to talk about it. So I think from a coaching standpoint, um, virtual coaching standpoint, especially in the COVID times, I think empathy had to kind of come first. The problem, if you got to it, had to come second. Yeah. So I focus on the work and the focus on the person. Yeah. And maybe the other order during challenging times. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, you know, family is the most basic unit, but the next level up is community. I mean, it's, it's, um, uh, you, you, we're all a member of a neighborhood. We're all members of teams. We're all, um, we're all members of, uh, of organizations, of consortiums, but I mean, um, you, you can't let the, the, the fabric of community spread because, or, or, or disintegrate, um, you got to maintain those personal connections. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, it's one of the challenges early on, one of the things that we challenged our team internally is reach out to two people that you interact with, but then aren't, you don't do it on a daily basis and just mm-hmm. check on them see how they're doing. Right. Have, ask, ask them what's going on. And, um, you know, two turns into 10 and before you know it, you're, you know, you've got, uh, for first continuous improvement guys, you've got a long list of the next set of projects that you're going to go working through, but it all starts with, you know, Hey, how are you doing? Um, how are things in your world? Yeah. And I, I want to give a shout out, you know, cause you know, I already mentioned Kinex is, I think is doing a great job of this. I also want to give credit jumping in as panelist again, um, the firm value capture that I often subcontract through 
you know, because they are, you know, very principles based around the Shingo principles and in particular um, oriented around safety, you know, I, it's, it's very sincere and, and, and noticeable their emphasis on uh, safety as we even consider going back on the road now potentially with healthcare clients and everything that's involved with travel and being on site and, um, you know, the, the emphasis on um, our well-being all around has been very strong and um, very, very welcome and very, very helpful. And we know there's no compromises to be made when it, when it comes to being as safe as uh, safe as we want to be. I was going to say as safe as possible, but there's never 100% safety. Uh, we never 100% risk elimination is what I meant to say, but um, emphasizing, um, you know, physical safety, psychological safety, professional safety altogether is even more important in this day and age. Um, a couple of other things, and then I mean, we'll wrap up. Um, Tyler, you'd been doing some work, you know, while people are working from home. I wanted to ask you about, you know, we often think of 5S as a workplace activity. And now that our workplace is home, what, what have you been doing with 5S? Yeah, I mean, same same concept. Um, for us, it hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, you know, so um, really overall, the same principles, um, going through the, the process, make sure we're, we're sorting out everything, getting rid of things that we don't need. Um, you know, it's not just your desk area. For us, we've been focusing a lot of attention on our file structure. Um, now is a good time while we're at home and we have some free time to clean up a lot of those files um, that, you know, have just gotten um, complete, completely overwhelming to look at, you know, for so many years. And so uh, we've had, you know, people focusing on that aspect of it. Um, and yeah, just making sure, you know, you go through, you set things you need, um, the shine aspect, you know, in, in, in COVID times, making sure everything's sanitary. Um, so they go through the process, but uh, I think Chris might have alluded to it earlier. U utilizing Teams is making sure people take uh, picture, you know, before and after, and share it. You know, so you know what's the improvement you made, what's the impact that it had, um, so that we can continue to you know keep people in the loop. Um, it also gives people a little you know insight into you know their work area, so there's a little personalization that goes on there. Um, but you know. Um, it's, it's not too different, right? I mean, it's just the same things we've just play, been playing around uh, primarily with, with file structures uh, and going from there. Um, I, I think of, you know, you're talking about files. I, I think credit for this goes to um, my friend, Dan Markovitz, who, by the way, he's going to be presenting a webinar for us in July. So that's um, not yet formally announced, but um, yeah, I used to be, you know, it's the engineer in me, like really precise, about throwing emails into very precise, well-defined folders. Um, but I, th I think the idea came from Dan, like my Mac is very good at searching for files. So I've become less particular. I still have folders for mail and for files, but you know, I think of like the, the possible over-processing of folders versus just typing a word or two and boom, there's the file at the top of the list. Um, some of those practices, um, maybe evolve with technology or sometimes it's, Hey, whatever you're comfortable with. That's one little change I've made. Um, Chris, we were also, I was curious to pick your brain about what you're doing around the idea of, um, tiered huddles. I think there'd be a lot of interest to that. We still have a lot of people who have, um, hung on, um, what, what are you doing, you know, in terms of, well, first off, if you could explain maybe for people who don't know what you mean by tiered huddles and then how has that been different virtually? 
Yeah. So, um, as I said earlier, uh, our, our mission and purpose are unchanged and tiered meetings are kind of the heartbeat and the cadence for how, um, a lot of our groups operate. And so when you think about a think about a tier, think about, uh, um, uh, uh, layers, right. And that, that first tier is, um, closest to the product. It's closest to the, um, uh, the customer in that sense. And that's, uh, so you have a tier one, you have tier two, which is going to be, uh, supervisors that, that help support that, 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 so the tier one would be a cell tier two would be a supervisor over several cells. Tier three would be, um, I would say management. And then tier four would be, uh, senior management, uh, for that site. So, um, for our lower, for the, for the tier one and tier two, uh, for the meetings that are taking place closest to the product, those meetings are still taking place. Like they're still having, uh, and, and there's a set, um, agenda that they talk through, you know, safety, quality, um, you know, delivery, cost. We, uh, our internal um, and continuous improvement program is called SPARC, uh, which is, you know, see, plan, act, review, keep improving. So SPARC's on the agenda um, and then uh, reward and recognition. And so they go through that every day. And so the benefit of tier meetings is that they, they, they integrate with one another. So um, items that need to be escalated from tier one, you know, up to tier two, uh, you know, work, right? You, you escalate those. Um, and then if there's items that need to be cascaded from a communication standpoint, um, they go down. So for the higher level tiers of three and four, where people, you have people that, um, you know, cause we're trying to protect the health and safety of our, our, the people closest to the product. Those are, um, those are for, uh, more virtual from that standpoint. So two things have come out of this. One is that um, you need to remember that the quality of the meeting is the quality of the people, right? It, it's the it's it, just saying you have a structure doesn't. Uh, it's like having a house without furniture in it, right? It, it's uh, it's bare bones. It's kind of boring, um, and no one wants to live there. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the the people and the quality of the meeting comes out of that, and then. For the folks that in the past would physically be at the meeting, but now can't, the um, they're having to learn how to ask better questions, right? So it's you can't just say, hey, "What happened in the meeting?" Right? You, you have to say, "Okay, well, I noticed on this metric that we um, uh, that we're off target on this. Uh, can you help me understand what what the discussion around it was, or, or what are some of the activities that uh, we need? What support do you need from me to be able to take care of uh, take care of that?" Um, so, um, you know, I, I know that there's folks out there that have, um, mixed feelings about tiered meetings, um, but, uh, tier meetings, huddles, whatever, you have to have a, a structure and an agenda and you got to have good quality discussion with the people. Uh, and, and, and I, I'm really, I'm really proud of the way that we've been able to, to, to perpetuate that. And, and we've gotten better at it, um, as, as time's gone on. I think, uh, we talked earlier uh, in, re- in regards to um, accelerators, this is one of the areas that we accelerated the best. Well, so speaking of good quality discussion, um, like we've had here, I think I do need to bring things um, to a close. So um, I, I want to again thank um, Tyler, Muhammad, and Chris. Um, thank you for the discussion here. Chris, there was a question. If you could type into the chat box or, or doing it right now, what Spark? what that acronym is. Um, but um, again, the recording of this will be available. We invite you to come attend other webinars. You can learn about that at our website, www.kinexus.com 
slash webinars. Hopefully you'll join us on June 16th with our group from Purdue University and that you'll subscribe and be with us for all of the future webinars. Maybe one other thing I'll throw out there, if anybody listening has also been doing virtual improvement work, um, reach out to me, mark at kinexus.com. Maybe we'll put together another panel and hear um, from the experiences of others. Um, I see a question that came in the recording. For one, everyone who registered, um, you'll get an email sent to you with a link. Um, so it'll be on our website, it'll be in our podcast feed, and it'll be in our Kinexus YouTube channel. So thank you everybody for attending and um, thanks, thanks to all three of you for sharing um, what you've been doing, what you've been experimenting with, what you've been learning. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you, Mark. Great. Thanks for being here. Great job. Thanks.